By the way, I love the fact that I look more and more like Ole Anderson every week with not being able to get my hair done. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't send you the message. Jesse sent me a message that said, AJ looks nothing like what I thought he would look like. And when I asked him what he thought he'd look like, he said, like, Bob Cook. <laughs> I definitely don't look like Bob Cook. Yeah. No, you look like an Anderson stepson right now. <laughs> exactly. That, I look I look like a crossbreed. Thank God you look like Owen <laughs> Anderson. Said no one ever. <laughs> I don't think we can say crossbreed on this show. <laughs> nah, baby. We're moved on. We're a civilized podcast now. <laughs> No way, you're going to have that on bootleg shirts like you're selling it outside of a boys' concert. <laughs> a lot of times we ask people for audio drops on the show. Just right. something like, this is Danny Moff. You're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. You got it. All right, whenever you're ready, man. Hey, this is Ring Around a Superstar, Danny Moff, and you're listening to the Working Man's Podcast. Don't piss me off and show us your support. Oh, Danny, that was great, but... Um, it's actually the working fans, F A N S. The working fans. All yeah, right. yeah, but fucking, that was great. Otherwise, you hit me one more time. <laughs> that was fucking awesome, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> My producer right, would kill me if I didn't ask you again. So I was like, I'm gonna fucking ask, but thank you so much. Bro. Get your head to the pillow at the end of the night. That's all that matters. Mm. Just get your head to the pillow. No matter how bad you're feeling, no. No matter how bad you think you're doing, you, if you put your head on that pillow, you got a you got a fighting shot at tomorrow. Working fans podcast, cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ, I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer Joe likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have, that's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. All right, everybody. It's your boy, the man they call Dave with producer Joe. And we're going to kick off our discussion this week. I want to talk about something the NWA produced, Carnyland. Now, Joe, you did not see this yet, correct? I did not yet. How was it? I enjoyed it. Now, to be fair, I want to like mention to people, like I think I've said it, on plenty of episodes, but I'm just not really enjoying empty, empty arena wrestling. So I love 
different content. Um, like for me right now, the Undertaker Last Ride series has been good. I actually, for AEW, I enjoy their Road 2 series and stuff like that. That's the stuff I've been liking. So... That being said, this was kind of like a variety show. We had like a segment where Tim Storm gives us like a history lesson on Benjamin Franklin and talks about how Benjamin Franklin had a book. I think it was called Proud to be Flatulent. Uh, basically about farts. The fuck, you know? It's just, there's a little weird things in here. Great story where Nick Aldis basically talks about going to a town to do a booking. Uh, I think it was Bristol, Tennessee. And this promoter, for the sake of the story, we called Carney Chris. I told him, yeah, I'll pay for your transportation and book the hotel. No worries, brother. And basically, he sent a screenshot of the confirmation. And then Nick uh, goes to go in the hotel and he calls this woman Doris. And Doris is like, we don't have anything for you yet. And he goes, oh, Carney Chris was supposed to uh, book it for me as a confirmation. And she goes, oh, I know Carney Chris. It must be kind of slow. Don't worry about it. And she books him anyway instead of putting a card on the room. Well, Aldis does the show. He goes to leave. He leaves a little early. He gets a phone call from, he said it, an irate Indian man at the hotel. And he wants to know why he hasn't paid. And then he says, well, Carney Chris said that he took care of it. Well, long story short, what happened was this guy basically did all the information of where the confirmation page would come up. And then he screenshotted it. And then rather than hit confirm, he cropped out the part where you had to hit confirm and just sent that to all this. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we wrecked them. Yeah, so you hear piece of shit stories like that. And there's a lot of stuff, but ultimately, too, what I like at the end of it, and I'll give you a little spoiler here, Joe, you'll like this. They have stuff coming out next week, basically for every day. Let's see here. I think I had it written down somewhere. Uh, yes. Uh, Monday, it's What's Causing All This, where it's basically Nick Aldis and I think Crimson and Thomas Latimer are going to be on the first episode talking about past gimmicks they had that failed. Uh, Tuesday will be Carnyland. Wednesday will be Inside the NWA. Thursday will be the Eli Drake Show. And Friday will be NWA Girl Power. So a lot of content coming from NWA. I'm ready for that Eli Drake Show. Man, I'm, I kind of want to see, like, I, I don't know. I'm a mark for stupid things sometimes, like the news show, like inside the NWA. Like, I want to see stuff. I'm just so happy that the NWA is giving us something right now, and it's not empty arena shows. And, you know, when we get to the point where we're going to have fans, I'm so excited. There's also a great promo at the beginning of this with Kofi Kingston. Uh, Kofi Kingston, what an asshole. Eddie Kingston talks about the passion he has and we can't wait to be back in front of the fans and he talks about legacy just eddie kingston is the ultimate promo he's a guy that i was surprised to show up showed up on nwa but i'm almost the happiest that he's there because he stands out so much yeah he absolutely does i'm such a fan of his like when he turns it on and he just cuts an off-the-cuff promo like he's one of the best i, I wish he had a bigger name overall in the industry. Um, but, yeah, he's great. He's a super. So, let's see. Did you uh, catch the latest Dark Side of the Ring episode last night? I caught it this morning, and I thought it was amazing. Man, I got to tell you, I watched this, and I felt sad and angry. And a peek behind the curtain here, and I'm not knocking this guy if he doesn't make our show. And I don't usually talk about this, but it lends into last night's episode. I got a message from Psycho Sid, 
and we're talking about getting him on the show. So I got very happy for a minute because I was super excited about that. And then as I went back to watching the show, it did not take long before I was super sad again. I mean, this thing was an emotional roller coaster for me. It was absolutely just horrible having to like relive some of this. Owen was even as a heel, was just such a likable guy to me. I love this guy. Hundred percent. What stood out for you on uh, the show? I think most that Owen married the right lady. Oh God, that's so true. I thought um, but, like after she died, she just wasn't going to accept the answer. Yeah. She had to go to the point where he died. Yeah. And had to get her children, and is like, you got to look at this shit too. Right, right, right. That all those themes fucked up, but when you see like. Just the character she has mm-hmm. and how her children come across. She's an amazing parent and just an amazing person. Yeah. So well-spoken, uh, his son, too. Something that stuck out for me was seeing Jim Cornette cry. When Jim Cornette cries to me, like, to me, that says, like, wow, like, that's when you know, like, how true D'Lo Brown looked like just, like, it was just devastating for him to relive that day. I just think it speaks volumes what kind of person Owen must have been for this to be so hard for these people that were there that night. I, I don't know if I'd call it lucky enough, but I've seen Jim Cornette cry one time before. Yeah. And it was a WrestleMania weekend right after Jim Ross's wife had died. Oh. Me and Scott went down to Orlando, and we bought tickets to the Jim Ross show. And Bruce Pritchard and Jim Cornette were two of his guests. And they both cried on stage, and it was... It was powerful, but it's also tough to see when Hornet almost fell in a heel, not according to our 531. Spoiler. But to watch him cry, like, that's a different level of emotion than you've ever seen from him. Uh, you know, I was talking to AJ, and he might have a video on YouTube by the time this comes out about it. Uh, and, like, for years, we wanted Owen Hart to be in the Hall of Fame. But, like, watching this and kind of begun to realize and listening to Martha on uh, Jericho's podcast as well that, you know, at the end of the day, this family lost a husband and a father. And if they don't want him there and, you know, like – and here's the thing, too. I don't think for a second Vince wanted Owen dead. I don't think Vince wanted just to save money. But Owen did die on his watch, and it was carelessness. And these people lost a husband and a father because of what happened tonight. So if they don't want him in their Hall of Fame and be dissociated with that company, we should respect their wishes. Oh, 100%. And it's one of those things, almost like when a band breaks up, mm. that you want them to get back together, but then you hear their differences, and you're like, nah, dude, I just want you to be happy. And especially for her, when you see the negligence on the part of the company that's putting him up to this son, mm-hmm. you got to kind of agree with her. Yeah, no, there was something happened that day that was carelessness. You know what's interesting to me is like, this is what I think, you know, like there was a part where she had mentioned or someone had mentioned that they didn't like the way the previous drops had happened. They thought they were kind of clunky. So they wanted to change it up to make it smoother, which, you know, so Vince is a perfectionist. We've all seen that. And he probably didn't like the way it looked, which is so stupid to me because part of the charm of that character was he was a parody of Sting. It was supposed to be clumsy, supposed to be stupid looking. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they've seen Sting do this. They've done it a few times. 
Vince McMahon himself had used a harness a few times. But clearly, for whatever reason, they got relaxed that day. They went with this new company. And, man, the right steps were not followed through. And at the end of the day, these people lost, like I said before, their husband, their father, and that can't be. So, and again, again, I, they don't want them in the Hall of Fame. Then fuck the Hall of Fame because uh, I think that's more important. Exactly. Are we good for the week, man? Well, one more thing. You know, on another sad note, Chad Gaspard, who used to be in um, Crime Time, he passed away, unfortunately, around the time we're recording this. He was got stuck out in the ocean with a current, and the Coast Guard was sent, and he was with his son. And basically, the last thing this guy did was he managed to hold his son up so they would save his son, and then he got caught in the current, and they didn't find his body until today, I want to say. So around 48 hours later, possibly, I want to say. At the end of the day, man, like, you don't know what you're going to do in situations like that. Everybody wants to know and wants to think they're going to do the right thing. But this guy did. He saved his son. He did everything he could, and he he sacrificed his own life for his son. And uh, I think that's something more important than ever being a, a wrestler or whatever your job does. This guy obviously was a stand-up human being, and I just kind of wanted to mention it on the pod. That's all. And I think it's sad because I don't think the WWE will necessarily give it the recognition that it needs, given that he sacrificed his life for his son. Yeah, we'll have to see. You know, we don't know yet. Maybe we'll find that out. Uh, we're taping now, so maybe NXT or SmackDown will find out. I listened to Meltzer. It was kind of hard for them to comment on it at the time. They hadn't mentioned it on Twitter and stuff like that. But obviously, at the time, the body was still missing. So I don't think you can, you know, say something like, you know, we're sorry about his passing, you know, because then if he hasn't passed, you're, it's just not, it's not a good look. You shouldn't do that. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, the old Alice and Shane's like, you don't want to plan the funeral before the body dies. Right, right. You know, the old cut that you're familiar with. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, <I'm very> familiar. <laughs> I uh I hate to cut this short, but my brother's gotta take a shit and I gotta let him into his house. So Yeah, all right. Guys, thank you for joining us this week and I hope beyond my brother doesn't shit his pants in the driveway. <laughs> This is Danny Ma for your honor, superstar. You're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Don't piss me off and keep listening. All right, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast with your boy Dave. And today we got a special guest, a guy who debuted back in 1999. He's worked with companies such as Jersey All Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor. He was in the, even in the NWA TV title tournament earlier this year. This guy is one of the hardest hitters you will find in professional wrestling. The Boricua Beast, Danny Moff. Danny, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I hope I can follow that awesome introduction. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Uh, We try our best to make everybody feel welcome here. And, uh, you know, one of the first things I wanted to ask you about, I was thinking about this today, like, you know, as a fan growing up in wrestling, I grew up big fan of like the muscle guys like Hulk Hogan and the Flyers, Jimmy Snuka. That was kind of my era as a kid. And then as I grew up, I really liked guys like Bret Hart, Ric Flair, Terry Funk, technical guys. And then, you know, I started to develop more appreciation for different storylines as I got older, like Austin Vince. What was your fandom like growing up as a kid into a teenager and then you know, when you broke into the business, like what is stuff that you used to like to watch and stuff you like to watch now? Basically, I loved watching 
anything Puerto Rico, you know, anything Puerto Rico, anything vintage NWA, Florida Championship Wrestling. That was, I, I, I think, where I first fell in love with wrestling and, you know, then being around other talents, you know, because of my father and, and his line of work, he was a referee. So, you know, that, then later on, I kind of fell into the era of, like, superstar Billy Graham, you know, Dusty Rhodes, you know, early Hulk Hogan, the heel Sergeant Slaughter, you know, Don Morocco, you know, stuff like that. But I was always a fan, basically, of the heel. I was just so captivated with the heel. The only baby face I was probably into as a child was Dusty Rhodes. You know, that, that was probably it. But I was also a fan of the Horsemen, so whenever, you know, Dusty, you know, was getting beat up by the Horsemen, I was like, it was, I, I was not CTV. But basically, you know, the, my fan in memory, I guess it would have to be like Superstar, you know, Billy Graham, uh, like, like a kid, uh, you know, the later um, Bob Backlund um, title run, I always cheered against Bob Backlund. <laughs> I was probably the only person on my block. I think I, I might have gotten into a fight with a kid named DJ Ryan on my block because I was actually happy that the Iron Sheik beat him in the Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so I was... I was probably, yeah, I was definitely the only guy um, cheering for the Iron Sheik um, when that happened. I also cheered when, uh, I think it was when Ray Steven, um gave Jimmy Snooker the pile driver on the concrete. I was the only guy cheering for Ray Stevens. You know, I was the only guy cheering for the Iron Sheik when, when the Iron Sheik and Sergeant Slaughter, you know, got to that. Um, thing when they were walking down the aisle together and neither one of them moved and the Iron Sheik stepped on his back and I was the only guy cheering for the Iron Sheik um, I was probably the only guy cheering for Kiki Star in Puerto Rico you know to, 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 to you know when he would bust up Carlos and, and, and then really beat up on Carlos so basically I was just a fan of anything that was stirring up trouble and uh, raising him you know, it's interesting. You said, uh, I wasn't even going to ask you this. I wasn't even thinking about this, but you said, you know, being a fan of like Puerto Rican wrestling. So a little background. I don't even know if I say this on the show. Uh, I'm like one of the whitest kids you'll ever meet, but my mom is Puerto Rican. And so my father was in the military. They met in uh, somewhere when he was stationed in Puerto Rico. And early as a kid, I can tell you part of my fandom was how passionate my mom was, whether it was boxing or pro wrestling, where, like, my dad would have to, like, sometimes, like, shut the TV off, like, okay, Lucy, you're getting a little out of hand here. Like, she was insane for whatever was going on the TV. So, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, have you wrestled in Puerto Rico ever? Because I've always heard that it was, like, the craziest, just passionate fan base down there. Well, probably uh, my probably the happiest times of my life um, in a ring, you know, like just crowd-wise, uh, was probably in Puerto Rico. 
uh, you know, it, it's just it, it's amazing. Uh, from 2001 to about 2004, I was uh, I was a part of IWA Puerto Rico, uh, run by uh, by Victor Quinones and Nostalgia Vega. Um, you know, Luke Bushwacker Luke was our uh, was our contact. Was our, was our agent or liaison, and uh, I dealt directly with Savio, and uh, whenever Savio brought me in, Savio was just such a fan of everything that I was doing, and he was just, he, he was just such a fan of my look, and my smile, and my belief in ability, and, um, you know, he, he loved the fact that I could, I was always moving forward as a heel, and I was really unselfish, but I would always move forward, and um, it was never a punch or a kick, I always... I was always a firm believer that, you know, uh, in Puerto Rico, that it was the baby face that, you know, had to do all the pretty stuff. And the heel just had to be there for the baby, had to be a base, and had to be believable, and had to have a certain credibility within what he was doing. So I was also willing, you know, to just have garbage showed at me every single night. And my, that was my goal. My goal was... You know, to actually want people who I love my Puerto Rican heritage, but I wanted my own people to want to kick my ass on every single And he loved that about me, and so did Bushwacker Luke. That's why, right off the bat, um, right off the bat, I, I was I was brought in, and I was working with Ricky Bandera. I was working with. Uh, Van Boy Shane, I was working with all their top eight places. Um, up below, um, uh, I was, I was working at the moment. I had a great time and I learned a lot. You know, it's just, that's probably the, I, I believe it's the last territory left. Um, those fans really, really, really believe. They're very passionate about their wrestling. They're very passionate about cheering. You see people, you know, when that baby face is, is, is going to his comeback. You see people jumping up and down, holding on to their heads, and they're really screaming. And, you know, just the fandom of how they yell, why? Every time uh, the baby face hits the heel. It's just amazing. I think, I, mean, I think any worker needs to experience that really good time or 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 a tour or two of the record on Puerto Rico. It's really a, a mind altering experience you know, for a wrestler. Yeah. It's, it's a must it's a must do. You know, back it up a little bit. Now, when you broke into the business, I got it here. You broke in and were trained by Homicide. Who were some of the other people that may have been involved, and how was it breaking into business? Well, when I broke into business, I uh, I went to the Jersey Oakwood Scene Academy. Ben Frank, I Davey again, gave me my shots and gave me a chance. Um, he liked that I was a go-getter. He liked that I was effective. Um, I wasn't very big at stature at the time. I wasn't probably very muscular at all. I was probably about 240, 250 pounds or, you know, just, you know, five foot eleven or whatever. And I really didn't have, I was just, I get the solid body. I really didn't, I didn't stand out much. You know, I really wasn't into weightlifting as much or if I was weightlifting at the time I really didn't know what I was doing like I do now you know he liked that I was a go-getter he liked that I was aggressive and he liked that I 
kind of already had an idea of what I wanted to do, you know, because I was, I, I was raised not too far from a wrestling man. You know, my father was a, a referee slash promoter, you know, through the later 70s, early 80s. So I started training at the Georgia Person Academy, and before I met Magic, Andrew Morgan, who was wrestling in his Magic, and uh, you know, he... He kind of got me started, uh, you know, long, make a long story short, you know, then the noise the New York crew, you know, rolling to the Jersey Off Wrestling Academy when we were, you know, they were just talking to Frank about whatever they were doing on shows and stuff, and homicides for me, and, you know, and he's like, yeah, I like him, I like that he's aggressive, I like what he's doing, let me take him. Uh, you know, sure, no, no, no problem. It was, you know, Frank Tunk, but just, just never forget, you know, where you came from. You know, you started with your medical. I said, no, Frank, I'm going to train with Homicide, but I'm going to always come here. So training was like probably two days a week. I made sure I was at training for two or three days that, that they were on. Whenever I went to training, I was at the doghouse in New York. So I was basically leaving work every day and going through training. And that's why I'm in Homicide and Low-Key and Lathon Tower Torture and Low-Key and you know, all that stuff. And I kind of hit the ground running after that. You know, if 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 you were lucky enough to be around uh, that group of badasses like that, then you you had to uh, back up, you know, whatever you were doing. You had to earn your place to table with them. So uh, I kind of hit the ground running and I had to play um, and it was a challenge, and you know, anybody who who knows me knows how stubborn I am when it comes to challenge. I just, you know, I just ate it up. Mm. Uh, that era of wrestling, we've heard a lot about it too. It's kind of like I don't want to say like. Maybe this happened more in the 80s, but I want to say you'd hear about it, too, on the independents, especially around then. There were a lot of guys who would, like, try to try you, like, maybe shoot on you in the ring or get stiff with you, really lay into you. How many guys, well, you're not, not to put a number on it, but I'm assuming that happened, right? There were people that would try to take advantage of you back then or really try to make a name for themselves off of you? All the time. Yeah, okay. yeah you know, uh, yeah, of course, you know, and, yeah. Uh, I think that stuff happens a lot on the on the indies and the independents. Um, you know, I know when I was coming up, it was like a dog eat the whole world. You know, it was either you know, man, the survive, man, kill, be killed. You know, it was uh, you know, you you earned your place at the table. You know, nobody handed you anything. Um, but that was a different time. Um, you know, it felt like that. But you definitely had to back up what you said or be ready to back it up uh, because nobody was giving you anything when I came up. Nobody would give you anything. Nobody was, you know, letting you in anywhere. So you kind of had to, you had to walk in and you had to, you know, you had to have it there, you know, to uh, earn your spot on that card or to have the top guys in that promotion accept that they weren't top guys anymore. Sometimes, you know, it wasn't very nice. Sometimes you had to, you had to show how bad you wanted it. And uh, without saying too much about this crazy thing of ours, uh, you know, because there is a certain code that, you know, you got to hold. 
if if you couldn't if your hands you know what I mean listen you couldn't you better be able to back up you know what you said or what you said that's that's something I, I can't I, I can't really say about that yeah that's understood I get that you were in Ring of Honor at a time and I'm looking at this list here guys like Samoa Joe AJ Styles Brian Danielson who would later on be Daniel Bryan Christopher Daniels did you know when you're in that time period just like how stacked that locker was like how big you know every all that talent were you aware already like oh my god like this is just an incredible amount of talent in one roster right now oh we knew we were bad yeah we we knew we knew we were bad. We knew we could back it up, you know, but was also boring. You, you know, you forget like a lot of guys like Doug Williams, Jody Slice, Xavier, Savior, yeah. um, the Briscoes, obviously, um, you know, Special K, um, Jimmy Rave, uh, Jimmy Jacobs, uh, uh, you know, all of the BJ Whitmer, you know, all, all of these guys, the SATs, Red, you know, Homicide, Loki, and all these guys, like, you know, we we knew we knew what we were, man. You know, we knew that we were the baddest, you know, roster on the planet. You know, we knew that we had something special going on. Um, we just it was just a matter of, hey, when is everybody gonna see it? You know, um, yeah, I mean, we knew, man. We knew that at the time, you know, we, we knew what the talent that we had in, in that locker room. But you know, the WWE also had, you know, the Rock had some cold. You know, they had the, the, the attitude era and, you know, the ruthless aggression era. And it was just, you were dealing with a whole totally different, you know, animal on a totally different scale. CNA wasn't even a thing yet at the time, you know, and um, it was just, it was just a big production and stuff. And, you know, we knew. You know, we we, 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 we we didn't have the personalities like that. But man, we were we were hitting home runs on every show and every aspect. And Gabe Sapolsky, you know, just had all of us. He had all of us clicking on all cylinders, man. And um, you know, that crowd you can watch I challenge anyone to to watch any of those shows. You know, you you could tell them we were just a bunch of young savages at that were very hungry. They were very eager. We, we, you know, we wanted to let the world know, you know, what was going on. Honor, you know, we wanted to let everybody know what the code was, what the code of honor was. And we were just, I don't know, it's like, the best way you can describe it is like Rocky, you know, when Apollo had talked to Rocky and, you know, talked to the guy that's hot there. You know, that's exactly what we had, man. It was just, we were just a badass locker room, man, and we knew it. I love that movie. Um, yeah. So, but I would imagine, okay, people got to know you're a badass. They got to know you're not one to be messed with. But equally important, I got to imagine, too, you do want to get along with the locker room to a certain point, right? It's almost like any kind of workforce getting along with your coworkers. You can't just, yeah, you can't just hate everyone. A thousand percent. Right, right. There is no better feeling. And there's no stronger love than I think, other than than, than your children, love for your children, and, and you know, a bond between parent and child. But man, when, they, when you have the respect of your own peers, mm-hmm. 
that is something that's unshadowable. Um, it's, it's, you can't compare that to many other things. But yeah, you know, but there's a ton of love between the boys. You know, sometimes, listen, sometimes, you know, things get a little heated, man. There's a lot of testosterone with a lot of these rings and a lot of these rings. And there's people with different agendas. And sometimes, you know, personalities clash. And sometimes things get a little, you know, they, 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 they tend to go a little left. You know, you know, some guys, you know, will crumble. Some guys will rise to the occasion. And some guys will say, hey, you know, I'm in a fight. Some guys fight. And it's just not a question of, hey, well, I'm not going to fight that guy because I knew I, knew I was going to get my ass kicked. No, man. I'm going to fight regardless. Hmm. You know, either you're going to get exhausted trying to kick my ass or I'm going to kick your ass. You know, like, it's, it's not like, hey, oh, I, can't, oh, I, I, knew, I knew I was going to get my ass kicked. There was no way I was going to mess with that guy. Hmm. No, I'm not going to go out of my way to mess with anybody. You know, but I'm not backing down either. So so you got to kind of like be a man's man in this business. There's a lot of respect in the business. You know, it's just, you know, some guys are... Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tough guys out there. There's a lot of guys. Out there. You know, now nowadays, you know, there's a lot of people that that have you know different skills. You know, they could be a guy that's 150 or 160. You know, that can knock the, the hell out of a guy who's 280. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know that guy who's 150 or 160 could probably be. You know, an MMA guy. Right. You know, that's a complete badass. And um, and you don't know it. He looks. He could because he looks like you know the guy behind the register at Walmart, Mm -hmm. which which is which is nothing against anybody behind the register. But you know, who look like like an Uber driver, or look like a cab driver, or a bartender, or something. You know, nothing against that, but, you know, when you think about a professional wrestler, you think of, of a machine, a guy that looks like Hogan, or a guy that looks like Ron Strowman, or The Rock. You know, you don't really look at guys like Finn Balor, or a guy like Conor McGregor, you know, or a guy like the size of Pat Buck. You know, but I, I just feel like there's certain people, you know, that, you know, you don't have to be the, the bigger guy anymore. You know, a guy who's 170 could easily smoke a guy who's 240. And I don't care what anybody says. Now, you watch enough uh, MMA after a while, and uh, I'll just pick this guy as an example. You watch uh, a Jose Aldo kick, who's uh, at 145, and you could have a bunch of 200-pounders in the room with you who aren't fighters. They're going to go, I don't ever want to be kicked by that guy, ever. Like, he'll, he'll well, kick yeah, man, yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if... I, I remember watching the UFC, the very first UFC, okay? Yep. And there was a guy, I don't remember his name. I remember the other guy's name, the 600-pound sumo named Emmanuel Yarborough. Okay. And this other guy couldn't have been more than probably 188 pounds. But he hit this guy, he hit this sumo guy, Emmanuel Yarborough, so hard that he broke his hand. But he knocked the guy out, and he won the match. He beat the big 600-pound sumo. Like I said, just, and then, you know, like the whole thing with Royce Gracie, you know, you know, Royce Gracie and, 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 and Kimo, you know, like, his Kimo looked like uh, he was chiseled. He looked like he was a solid 240-pound, and he has, you know, Royce Gracie, who's probably 175 pounds, 
and he doesn't have any muscle on him. He's just going up there in a gi, and, and, and but he, you know, he just he just with the shit out of him, and he beat his ass. Yeah, you know, and that's just how that's just you know, that's how it goes. You have to respect every man, no matter what size or you know whatever they look like now. But it's just gotta. You gotta be mindful of what you can do, man. You know, if you if you don't if you ain't got hands, mm-hmm. you know, just just shut, shut the hell up. Right, just do the job. Then. <laughs> 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 you took some time off for a while, uh, maybe about five years. What prompted you to retire at that particular time in your career and your life? Well, it was time, man. You know, I needed I needed some change. My body needed a break. When you're young. And, you know, sometimes you think we have a, a lot of things figured out and, you know, and, you know, you make a lot of stupid mistakes and that on top, I just needed a break, man. My body, my body was banged up, you know, I really needed a break and it was time, you know, and when it was time for me to come back, you know, I missed it enough to where it was time for me to come back and I missed it and I was healthy and I felt, I felt good again, you know. I believe I came back better than before. Better than what I was before. To use, uh, go back to MMA for a second, use kind of an analogy. Robbie Lawler, uh, who, who been fighting since he was like 18, but he made his career resurgence in the UFC, like later on in his career. And he ended up being the welterweight champion, for people who don't know. And he credited that for a lot of years he took off aspiring. He had rested his body. Do you think taking that time off helped you to be able to perform at the level you perform now at that high level still and be able to take bumps right now still? I think the time off made me, the time off, of course it helps anybody physically, but um, absolutely a million percent, I believe like it made me, I came back smarter. Um, I came back refreshed. I did a lot of studying. Um, I watched a lot of wrestling. I analyzed a lot of wrestling. But definitely the time off helps. The time off helps anyone. You know, time off helps anyone, but it's also the kiss of death for a lot of people. Sometimes, you know, time off is a is, is a Vespa's, you know, number one enemy. There's no bigger enemy, you know, than than time off. You know, sometimes in a lot of cases. Yeah. Then in a lot of cases. Some sometimes guys need uh, need a break. I mean, look at Shawn Michaels. Right. Shawn Michaels been away for what? I don't know how many years. Yeah, about four or five years. Back, yeah. And he came back better. He came back with a different mindset. He came back. Um, he he had to detach himself. Um, I believe um, from the business. You know, even though he watched still from afar, but you know, he had to reanalyze things, and and he came back so much smarter. We came back so much better, you know. And it, it's hard to believe how a guy like that could come back better. Yeah, I remember that match he came back to with uh, Triple H was one of the Summer Slams. I want to think '04, and I thought the same thing as a fan. You know, as a fan, you hear everything with the back, and you see him, and it's like, oh my God, how is this guy doing this? <laughs> you know, just yeah, amazing. Now you get you come back into the business. Now when you take like five years off. Like, how do you just enter back into business? Do you just, you call a promoter? Like, how does that work? Actually, uh, Frank and I knew, had known somebody mutually. This person saw Frank. Frank said, hey, tell this fucking guy to call me. (laughs) 
You know, because Frank had moved out of Bayonne, he had moved out to South Jersey, and I was still in Bayonne. But Frank had seen this, this person, you know, and first he gave me a message. So a few days later, you know, I called, I called Frank. And I'll never forget, it was a Friday night, and I gave him a phone call. And uh, he said to me, he said, I don't want to know one thing. I don't want to hear one word. I don't want to know anything. All I want to know is, are you ready to come back? Hmm. Okay. And, and that was it, man. It was like, and that was it. I was. It's kind of like when you wake up, when Rocky woke up out of, when a, you know, it felt, it felt like when a Rocky, you know, his wife, yeah. you know, woke up out of the coma, Rocky too. Yeah. And, and, and she said to Rocky, fight. Yeah, win, you know? win. I remember that. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and they said, that's it, let's go take us. <laughs> that is such a great line. You know, you, you make it back to Ring of Honor eventually, which I'm sure is great. One thing I'm curious about, like, I remember seeing you earlier this year in the NWA TV title tournament as a guy who was a big fan of Dusty Rhodes and some of that era. Was, was that just super cool? Like, is there a part of you, like, a fan to be in the TV title tournament for the NWA? Man, that was so cool that, uh, you know, Ring of Honor uh, chose me to represent them. Yeah. In the, in the tag time, in the, uh, I'm sorry, the television title tournament. Yeah. It was just such incredible, you know, walking into that studio and just being in an NWA you know, under the NWA background, you know, the setup and just seeing the television title from afar, you know, it's just... It was awesome. Yeah, it really was. Like, you know, if anybody told me it wasn't awesome, you know, they're full of shit. It, it, it really was awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I did the whole thing with the spot my face. Right? It, was, it was great. Um, I got to meet a lot of really awesome people. I got to, you know, I, uh, I really can't put it into words, man. It was, it was a real cool thing. You know, and I'm really happy. I'm really, really happy. I got to have the opportunity to do that. That's awesome. Nowadays, we're all pretty much on lockdown, trying to do our thing. And, you know, some of us have jobs that we can still work. But obviously, there's not as much to do right now. What are you doing to keep busy? What are you up to? Not too many people can say too much nowadays because you don't want to get anybody in trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't want to give anybody a... You know, you don't want people getting fined or oh yeah, or people getting you know in trouble anywhere. But I'm doing the best that I can, you know, to stay in shape. Obviously, you know, the closings of all the major gyms, you know, in the country was a big hit to a lot of guys. And hey, if you don't have weights, you know, you're kind of you know you're in a bind. You know, I mean, when the pandemic hit, that's the first thing that a lot of people did was they went out and they bought waste. So, you know, waste then became extremely overpriced. You know, I'm a weightlifter, man. I'm not like that. You know, and I'm not knocking yoga. I'm not knocking the whole abs thing and everything. You know what I mean? I'm never had an ab. I have a few bellies for, you know, I have a, a beer tank for a belly, you know, but. You know, I'm all, I feel like I'm well conditioned. I am what I am. You know, I'm a weightlifter to the death. I love pumping iron. I love being in the gym. I love the grunt. I love the sweat. I love the cursing. I love the pain. You know, I, I love being uncomfortable. 
I think that's one of my my strong foods. I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable, and uh, you know, I think you need that to uh, to be successful and to fight through pain because without being comfortable, being uncomfortable, once pain comes knocking on your door, you know, you're gonna get into the fetal position and you're gonna give them. So. You know, you got to find different ways to uh, to train and, 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 and to do stuff. You know, I have a personal trainer. He happened to be a, one of my students at Respiro, and I talked to him. And he said, yeah, man, he said, I would love to train. I said, well, he said, what are you looking to do? I said, well, I'm looking to become more explosive. And I'm looking for, you know, an explosive in me. And I'm really looking to, uh, I, just, I just want you to, beat my butt until just, I said just try to break me yeah try to break me because they promise you I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give in and, um, and that's what we've done that's our understanding you know and he literally tries to kick my ass every single every single training session that we have at his studio and I just I won't give in you know I won't, I won't stop I won't give up and that's kind of you know what I wanted to accomplish and what I wanted to do I'm doing I'm doing a ton of things that I would thought I would ne- I could never do my entire life, and at the same time I'm also doing things that I only did in high school when I was a football player. I'm in high school, <clears throat> so now a few years later, you know, um, I'm a lot older, you know, and. I'm I'm doing a lot of these things that I never knew I could do, and I feel like I'm one of the hardest workers in the room, you know. And I'm gonna try to outwork everyone, you know. And I think that's what we should all do, yeah. As individuals, we should all be trying to, you know, work our hardest during this pandemic to try to come back in some sort of respectable ring shape, you know. And, you know, Steve Mack, my friend partner, used to ask me when I would get in the car when we get ready to go. I said, well, how you feeling today, old man? <laughs> and I was sitting in perfect fighting conditions. And he knew if I said that, man, I was ready to kick ass. I was ready to go. Yeah. And we were going to kill it. Um, so right now, goddammit, I'm in a perfect fighting condition. And I'm ready to go. And I'm ready to kick anybody's ass. I'll kick your ass, too, if you want to go. I, I am all set with that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed in my lane. <laughs> but, that was kidding, man. No, I know. You know, I, you're on no way. Like, when you talk about being comfortable, being uncomfortable, just the personal thing with me, we were talking about this before uh, we started talking. I, I deliver bread. It's part of, it's a business I do, but it's like I have a contract. It's like a franchise. And part of that is getting to stores at certain points. And I have to get up every morning at 2 in the morning to leave to get my job done. That is not the kind of style that I I, I, I am not developed to get up at 2 a.m. But I do it. Let me tell you something, man. For three and a half years. Go ahead. What you do is no cakewalk. You know, uh, getting up at 2 in the morning, you know, every day, um, there's nothing to sneeze at, man. You know, and I'm going to tell you something. I I thank you. I'm looking right now at the top of my refrigerator, Mm -hmm. and I see all this bread. Yeah. On top of my refrigerator. <laughs> you know, it's because of people like you get into the places that for me to go purchase this bread. And, um, you know, I'd like to thank you. I'd like to thank all these guys out there and all these men and women, all these boys and girls that are doing essential work that, that are the forgotten. People forget, you know, hey, 
Look at this. Look at these Portuguese men, man. Look how awesome this is. Look how great they are. But you know what? You know, a lot of people bust their ass, wake up early, and spend time away from their family to get this bread to you. So I'd like to thank you. I'm happy to you and all these central workers out there. I'm nothing but respect for what you do. And, you know. Oh, man. Well, I appreciate that. Definitely, uh, you know, it's reciprocal, man. You you and all the pro wrestlers, even now, like, are keeping me entertained, man. Whether it's, like, I'm watching empty arena matches or I'm going back and watching stuff on YouTube. It's it's nice to have a break sometimes from your day. So uh, we're all in this together, I think, you know? That's right. Is there anything you want to promote or uh, want to tell people where they can find you? Hello, where you can find me? You can find me on the Honor Club. Ring of Honor Wrestling. You know, you can find me a lower place. You can go to the Ring of Honor, <clears throat> ROHshop.com. And you can find, you can purchase uh, my T-shirt, my Danny Moss T-shirt, uh, Ring of Honor Originals since day one T-shirt. Or you can find a host of all your favorite Ring of Honor superstars on merchandise and Ring of Honor merchandise available to the general public. Uh, you can also find me on uh, Ring of Honor TV. Or just anything Ring of Honor. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. I'm very easy to find. Just type in Danny Monk and I come up. And uh, you see this beautiful face that my mother people can love. And, uh, you know, I usually answer everyone. You know, as long as you're on there and you're respectable, um, I will answer you the same way. Absolutely. All right, Dan. I appreciate you having uh, being on. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, Flash, the best of luck to you. Stay safe. You know, it's a tough world out there right now. Thank you for everything that you do. Please stay safe. And thank you for getting all of those wonderful products for us to eat. For our family. All our hot dogs, our hamburgers, and everything else that we love. We need that bread for it. So I thank you, and I appreciate everything that you do. Awesome. Welcome to the 531, where we debate a top five list on a particular subject, further discuss it down to a top three, and then eventually settle on a top one. Now after this beat, we'll get to today's subject. out for me there is JBL because JBL was really a good shit heel. Don't get me wrong there's a lot of legends in there that I think we're going to see multiple times on this list but uh, JBL is one of those guys I think that goes unnoticed and I really uh, liked that Randy included him on the list. Definitely a good choice. Oh, 
didn't say the real life Justin Roberts. Did you read Justin Roberts' book? He sounds like kind of a cut. I didn't say the real life John. He wasn't known for being an asshole. I'm just saying, in the line of being all time great heels in the wrestling business, maybe he's a little underrated. As a he Mr. Perfect stuck out for me because he kind of hits that Ric Flair thing where, like, when I was young, I realized what it was about him that hurt me. Okay. But there was just too much likable to kind of go against that. What do you think? He was the original cool heel, I would argue. Uh, we're, we're in a little bit of a huge gap here. Um, I definitely like Perfect, but I also was already at the heels in my life. Mr. Wonderful was the first, like, cool heel for me. I thought you were going to say Vern Gagne. No, I'm not saying Vern Gagne. I know we want to pop AJ every week, but uh, I'll leave that to Randy. I'm all set. No, I uh, I definitely I could see your point, but to me, Mr. Perfect goes without saying he's one of the best heels. I guess I just have him on that pedestal already. Now, AJ gave us a list. He had the original Sheik, Andy Kaufman, Kelly Blanchard, Gino Hernandez, and King Corbin. Yeah, so... Okay. Now, I've seen all these lists already. I don't remember all of them. Uh, brother, I just want to point this out. <laughs> we, ha we haven't rehearsed anything, and I my memory's shit. But I remember King Corbin, and that one stuck out to me, because we're not going to see that on anybody's list. That being said, I talked to AJ, and he says he feels he's one of the true heels out there right now. So I guess the thing is, does he have that go-away heat? You just don't want to see this motherfucker on your TV? Or is it like he's a legit bad heel? I guess he's a That was about to be my question because he has portrayed a heel, but the position is so garbage. The dog food shit, you can get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think there's been enough bad creative to really hurt that as a being a true heel. They storyline had the McMahons come out and blame the ratings on him at one point. <laughs> the sagging ratings were blamed on Baron Corbin. Um, That's a bold move. Yeah, it is. It's a bold move. His character must have just been scapegoated at that point. Yeah, it's back when he was one of the acting general managers or whatever he was doing. He had like the waiter's outfit on. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the guy. I mean, he does... I think he's been booked like shit. I, I think under the right booking, he could be something. But eh, I just think he's a pile of shit. <laughs> Sorry, Baron. I don't know you personally. Maybe that's a bit stiff, but I'm not a fan. The best move they made was shaving his hair. But other than that, he's been total safe. Like, if you hear about behind the scenes, he's arguing against percussion protocol. Uh, percussion protocol. And just kind of been that anti-establishment person that WWE almost needs. Uh, hats off to AJ for putting Andy Kaufman on the list, though. That's a good heel that we won't hear about often. Uh, got a lot of heat in the Memphis territory back in the day, so. He's not on my list, but he played the heel perfectly. He did. Yeah. So shout out to AJ for that pick, Andy Kaufman. I definitely, that's who stuck out to me as a yeah, I know. He actually put a little thought into this. Shout out to AJ for putting half-ass effort into the Working Fans podcast this week. Thanks, AJ. I, I, I'm going to give you quarter-ass effort, but Jack, 
and Ric Flair, Bobby Heenan, Hollywood Hogan, Vince, mm. and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Uh, you know what's funny about that? Uh, the first time I saw the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, was Mid-South Wrestling, and he was actually a babyface. And then he became, uh, he went on to be the Million Dollar Man in WWF, and come to find out, he was a heel most of his career. I just happened to see him first as a babyface. So I always liked Ted DiBiase, but he is probably one of the all-time great heels who belongs on that list. And that's one thing I want to get into is the perception that the WWE has put out there in professional wrestling to kind of get some people's careers a little muddy. Uh, it, it just gets people's careers a little muddy, you know? Like, they might be a heel one place, and then when they come to the WWE, they're eight, or they're a heel in one place, then they come to the WWE, and they're a different heel. I don't want to say weaker, because w, uh Million Dollar Man was the ultimate heel when we were kids. Yeah. But almost how did they not do heels right anymore? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, when you talk about like changing characters, that same Mid South territory, they took the Sheep Herders, one of the most violent tag teams in wrestling, and turned them into the Bushwhackers. A couple of fun love old guys who like to lick the heads of kids. That's a little weird, but whatever. You know, that's their thing. Um, at the end of the day, uh, WWE has always done this. They always had to put a slant on things, their own you know, way of doing things. But for whatever reason, yes, they have uh, really lost their way of building good heels right now. Talking about players, let's talk about the Japanese wrestlers. Now, Jake has a list. He's got Vincent Kennedy McMahon, Roddy Piper, Rick Flair, Rick Rude. Now, the first one is he had a tie between Mr. Perfect and Minoru Suzuki. Yes. But he settled on Ted DiBiase and Minoru Suzuki. Well, I guess uh, to prove your point, you know, Perfect might have been the kind of the cool heel there, and Ted DiBiase was more, you know, the villainous heel in his eyes. And, you know. Would you argue, though, that if you watch Mid South, yeah. DiBiase almost might have been a cool heel? Sure. Yeah, he definitely had to make himself a cool heel. He ended up being a larger-than-life character heel, so there's that. I, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, Ted DiBiase was so talented, it didn't really matter to me. Like He was probably going to get over whatever he did. He was just that good. Yeah, that's one thing that stuck with him throughout the years. Now, Mike Flynn gave us a list. He's got Rick Flair, Kevin Sullivan, Vader, Roddy Piper, yeah, you know what's interesting is that how many, uh, you know, lists that Ric Flair is going to make on this. Because, man, he is a great heel, but also he's just one of the most beloved people in the business, right? Yeah, but how does Kevin Sullivan not make more lists? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I left him off of mine, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's too short and I just forgot about him, but I don't know. I just... I, he is a villainous heel, yes. I mean, AJ had the... And he had the original fake disc gimmick that people to this day are almost convinced that he was involved in Benoit's downfall. Yeah. There was something with... Oh, yeah. It was on one of the dark side things. Remember the death of Gino Hernandez? People were actually calling to investigate to see if it was Chris Adams. And that's something about that time in wrestling where it's almost like... The suspension of disbelief was so big 
that people would think that your rival might actually have a part in your death. Well, that's what I was arguing last week on the show, that I mean... Like, when you talk about these empty arena eras and why they're not doing as well, I believe it's more about the performance now. But if you had an era like that, where people just bought into everything, man, they wouldn't care about empty arenas because they'd be on the edge of the seat as who's going to win and who's going to lose this match and what's going to happen to my hero. It's not really the case anymore. Exactly. Now, South Ravon's got a list. You've got Jim Cornette, Vince McMahon, Eric Bischoff, Ric Flair, and WWE's creative <laughs> The true shoot heels in all of the business. <laughs> now, I would argue it's probably less the creative team and more just the head of the creative team, McMahon, for what he chooses or chooses not to let through. I mean, at the end of the day, he is ultimately going to be responsible for everything that happens in that promotion. So the good, the bad... It all has to kind of weigh on him. But, yeah, I mean, the system is just fucked up. The fact that we've gotten away from the fact that... If you look at, like, a lot of things, like, uh, people would talk about, don't play wrestler, be a wrestler. And I feel like in that WWE environment, that's almost impossible to do because everything's so rehearsed. And that's part of what makes the program so difficult to watch. And it's one of the reasons why NXT, I think, uh, did better... Because, you know, it wasn't directly under Vince's watch. It was more a heavy bit. It struggles a little bit now in the empty arena era because you need entertainment content, too. But, you know, that's something I think WWE Creative has caused a problem. Yeah, it's really tough because WWE now has almost become like the Kleenex and the Q-tip of wrestling where it's the brand name associated with the product. And what WWE is currently putting out almost hurts the name of pro wrestling not a hundred percent, but a little bit in the perception of what it is. You can get quality pro wrestling out there that's not necessarily sports entertainment. But on the flip side, you can get good sports entertainment from AEW that's not on like the garbage end of WWE currently. I just listened to an interview with Nick Aldis where he talked about too, on the flip side of that, though, that, you know, we've lost a lot of fans over the years. You know, we have our hardcore fans, and we have the story where the guy who looks just like us is competing, and, you know, he's the great wrestler, and we just want to see him do it. He said, but there's a bigger part of the audience that wants to see larger-than-life people, but they just drop off. They're not as vocal. They just end up not watching the product anymore. We don't hear from them. And that's not to say he's taken away and he wants to see, like he was not very pro WWE necessarily but I think Nick wants to see something where wrestlers look a little bit different almost like maybe that era we had before where wrestlers looked like stars but also we had wrestlers that could go more of a variety of what we have now it seems like we either have WWE's carny bullshit or we have like a strictly wrestling based product we don't have enough of like uh, guys that look like stars anymore to now, my list, I've got Rick Flair, Jake the Snake Roberts, which I'm surprised he didn't make more or less, Vince. For the reasons I just outlined, I kind of put WWE on my list. And then how are more people not talking about MJF, the modern wrestler that is holding up that mantle? 
you know, he, he escaped my list too. And I would just say this because I really like the guy so much. But you're right. I mean, he really is an awesome deal. He reminds me of kind of old school uh, cross between maybe Rowdy Piper and Brian Pillman. Really good, good heel work. You've seen him like he's kind of fearless. I've been to live shows with this guy, Pie Face Fans. We saw him at the last AEW pay-per-view where he threw a drink in a fan's face. Like, this guy on an MLW show, like, he kind of made a one line about the Von Erichs, you know, legacy and how they're all dead. But this guy just is fearless when it comes to being a bad guy. And he's ultimately so good, I think a lot of us just appreciate and like him. And we forget that, yeah, he's also one of the best heels in the business. And what's important is he's playing a heel in a time where it's maybe not necessarily acceptable to. Like, not a lot of people play that straight heel. Yeah, you know, everybody kind of wants to play that cool heel. Yeah, no, he's very good at what he does. Excuse me, he stays committed to it. And uh, I have a lot of respect for... Uh, what he pulls off. I'm a big fan of him. And I guess that's why I didn't think about him as uh, a heel. But he is. Yeah, he's probably the best heel out there right now. And the best heel out there in the last few years. Yeah, no. I think the only list we got left is yours. Who do you got on your list this week, Dave? I put down Nature Boy Ric Flair. Because at the end of the day, this guy personified being a heel. He was better than you. To quote MJF. <laughs> you know, he had the money. He had the women. He flaunted it. Put it in your face. Speaking of, you know, having the women, Rick Rude was another one to me. Like, I just hated this guy growing up. Uh, he was nothing really likable about him. Uh, Bobby Heenan, who was really entertaining skill, but also, like, really good and involved in some of the most infamous storylines, you know, like against Hulk Hogan at the time. So I tend to think of Bobby. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler. I hate growing up as a kid. I didn't find anything about him redeemable. And uh, same can be said about the last guy on my list, Mr. Jim Cornette, who is still pretty much a to uh, That's my last vote. I'm almost ashamed that he's having on my list because he's one of those guys that really champions the cause of a heel in wrestling. Now, now that we've gotten all our lists in, We've got quite a variety. Who moves on at this point? Who are some of the top folk getters? Are you keeping a cut to count here? I have not picked out, but Ric Flair has popped up most often. Vince? Vince is on there. Rick Rude has a couple votes. WWE in some degree. Mm -hmm. So obviously Flair's got to move on. Flair, yeah, I would say... I mean, Flair, Root, and Vince look like the uh, top mover on that I can see. Yeah, Flair, Root, and Vince. We'll get them onto the top three. Okay. So Between these three, Root's got to be the first to go, right? I'm thinking here. It's how we want to judge this. Okay, so if it's who's the bigger star and bigger names in the business, that's clearly Vince and Flair. But... I would argue bigger heel, and I would think Flair did it for so long. Right. And then Vince has done it intentionally or unintentionally for 40-something years. I mean, listen to Gary Tepeda's interview from last week. Well, again, we're kind of mixing in um, 
shoot versus storyline here. Vince is a shoot heel for a lot of people. I will say this, though, and just to play a little counter-argument here, I remember some great Ric Flair babyface runs. I remember Vince being a babyface run. Man, I don't remember Rick Rude playing babyface. I think he had a couple times where he was close, but I don't think it happened. All right, so who was less of a heel between Flair and Vince? Less of a heel? Damn. Yeah, who would you dance over the other? Okay, as an all-time great performer, it's Nature Boy Ric Flair. But as a heel? Fuck, man, I love Ric Flair. <laughs> I don't love Ric Flair, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to say, Flair almost has too many redeeming qualities, especially the fact that he'll cry almost on the drop of the dime. Yeah, yeah, Flair loves the business. He's passionate. He's one of us in that regard. You know? I can only think of a couple times I've seen Vince cry. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's got to be. Uh, Vince is that ultimate heel. Even though he's had a few runs as babyface at times, and I think there is a portion of us that all still respect the fact what this guy has done for the business on a whole. Maybe not what he's doing now, but as a whole, what he's brought it to. But at the end of the day, yeah, he's just the easier to hate, isn't he? <laughs> I think what he's done over the years is more notable. Like, when you wear that crown, you have a certain responsibility. He has stamped out territory, he's been ruthless about eliminating competition. That's kind of the ultimate deal, right? The guy that wants to rule the world? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, there's a fine line between ambition and cutthroat. And uh, he walks through that. I mean, at the end of the day, too, this guy did have us. Uh, he's brought wrestling to a place where it never been. I mean, the, the ratings in the Golden Obviously, there was a great team behind it. Yeah, he's a ruthless son of a bitch. He doesn't shit about anything that will get in his way, and he will do whatever it takes to be the. He's a complicated individual, and he is definitely a All right, so Vince is our top heel. Thank you for joining us for the 531 this week, guys. We'll see you next week. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 